Uh, this is our second of three messages about coming home for Christmas, and that's that Advent season. The whole Advent season has a little bit different flavor than you're used to. When we talk about Advent from a biblical perspective, it has a lot to do with um, repentance and preparing your heart for Jesus to come, and that's what we we're kind of covering. We talked about anticipation last week, and then this week we're talking about repentance, a real Christmassy topic. So we, uh, the thing I want to touch on is just imagine a gift, and I've told you this story before. I heard a pastor talk about it. He says, imagine you get, for Christmas, you're really excited, and someone says, I got something you really need, and you're really excited for it, and then you open up the package, and it's a scale. Or you, you, and then, the, 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 there's two parts to it. They're like, you know, I, wasn't, I didn't go cheap on you this year. So then the other one is a book, you know, 10 Steps, How to Overcome Your Selfish Tendencies. And they said, you really need it, right? And does that feel good? When people tell you you need to change? Even about like minor things, I don't think it feels good. I got a friend who, uh, one of our um, a college students, he plays college baseball and the coaches got there and he's a very good player and they told him he's got to change his swing. How does that feel? I don't think he's a big fan of that. How do, you, how do you like it when you go to do anything? I sit down with my son to do math and he's going through and I'm looking at it going like, how in the world, what are you doing? And I, I say that in a much more positive way. I say, how are you doing? You know, like, no, no, I'm like, like, what is happening? This is not how you do this. Just erase it, get a big eraser and let's start over. We've got to fix this. How does, how does my son like that? He's like, dad, thanks for the help. Eventually, that's how he feels. But at the moment, he's not too pleased when you say, the way you do math is stupid. I never say it that way. I, say, I just say, get a big eraser, let's start over, and let's fix it. He's with the kids, so you don't have to worry. Uh, so so the, you know, there's, none of us likes to hear this, and none of us likes to go to a job and someone says, you're not very good at it. You've got to change how you do it. None of us likes how you do any of this in getting critiquing. And um, what we look at when we talk about John the baptizer is he's not talking about us changing our weight, and he's not talking about changing um, our, you know, like this book, self-help book. He says, I, God wants you to change your heart. And so we're going to be looking at repentance. This is a section, this is a classic section for Advent as we look at the work of John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer, we could talk a long time about him, but he's very interesting. He's a relative of Jesus. We don't know exactly how close they were. And in the story, that my favorite part about it is that he goes into the wilderness and he lives with camel hair and he just eats bugs and sugar. So you can imagine what kind of human being this is. He just has this long flowing hair uh, and he, he hangs out in the desert and he's so crazy that people want to go hear him talk. And his message is always the same. He, he doesn't like sit down and like some sensei thing. His message is always the same. It's repent. Um, so during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, or some people say Caiaphas, uh, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So he's a prophet. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets. And that's why in the Bible when Jesus says, you know, imagine how great John is. One person who is born in the New Testament era is greater than John. That's what he's getting at. John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance. He lived by the river for forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book, in the words of Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. So we, we read that, and, and we have it in Malachi that talks about this one who's going to come, and we also have in Isaiah. This is 700 years before Jesus comes. And remember the anticipation people had. They had 2,000 years um, from Abraham all the way to Jesus. We have even before that, and Noah and Adam and Eve, they're all waiting for this Messiah to come, this anticipation, this anticipation. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus says, there's, there's going to be a guy who comes, and he is going to be in the wilderness. And he, when you see him, you know it's really close. So now this is a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. 
The crooked road shall become straight, and the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. So here he is explaining that he is the one. So John sits before the people and says, just so you know, I am the one who is prophesied here, and he's known as Elijah, and he's like the second Elijah to say that the Messiah is so close, and his message is always the exact same, repent. So when you hear the word repentance, what kind of words go into your mind? Is this like a positive thing when you think of repentance? Christmassy term? What are you guys doing this weekend? Lots of fun stuff. We're Christmas shopping. We're going to make some cookies. Repenting. And then we're going to, you know, like, I don't think most of us, when we think about it, it's like grief and it's sorrow and it's, uh, it's not a very good picture where someone says, you need to repent. This is not, you think maybe if the fire and brimstone preacher who's slapping the palm at the weird guy in the corner who's saying the end of the world is coming, repent and be near. If you understand it from a biblical perspective, it's a beautiful concept. And it's a concept that if you can understand, it changes the way that you look at um, your world and it changes the way that you look at people. All right. First, some disclaimers. If you're not a very good speller, do you know what uh, exasperates or really exemplifies how bad of a speller you are? You use a whiteboard. Does this happen to anyone? I'm a terrible speller. And then like, when I have to write things on the whiteboard for the kids, I'm like, oh man, I'm not even sure at all. If you're not even a great artist, what really exemplifies how poor of an artist you are is trying to do it with a mouse. And so this is my attempt to draw some pictures. So if you want to get your pencils out, you can. And we're going to talk through three steps of repentance that are pretty vital. And I think there's a lot of people in the world who just don't fully understand it. So we're going to cover three things. Usually we think of this grief. That's, my, that's supposed to be a sad picture. It is a sad picture on more one, than one level. So we have this sad picture. Uh, and this is usually what we think of. You should feel guilty. You should feel bad. You should, that's, when you do something wrong, you should feel guilty. It's really disturbing when you meet someone who does not feel guilty when they did something bad, right? It's really disturbing if you meet someone who is mean to you and they, there's, they don't care, right? So we always try and teach our kids this is something you should feel bad about. You should feel badly about it? No, no, feel bad. There we go. Um, not done. <laughs> so you should feel bad about this. This is not good. And um, and I think we do that naturally with anything that happens. You get a speeding ticket. This is a hypothetical example. Uh, you, you get a speeding ticket. Why do you feel bad about that speeding ticket? Do you feel bad because you have to put out like 300 bucks? Yes. Do you feel bad because the police officer is kind of a punk and was hiding and on the downside of a hill when you're just coasting, you're just trying to be efficient, you love the environment, and you're just coasting down the hill. You don't want to waste energy, and then they still hit you up. Like, does that, is that why you're mad? Are you mad because you have to tell your spouse? I think speeding tickets wouldn't be that bad if you didn't have to tell your spouse. Or if you were driving the trailer, the church trailer, and you thought you had enough gasoline and you run out, it, it wouldn't be that bad except you've got to tell someone else that you did this. That one might not be hypothetical. As I had to call Charles and say, Charles, it said I had 40 miles left 20 miles ago, and now the car's not running. He's like, I bet you're out of gas because you're on a hill. Hypothetically. Right, right? Like, that's the worst part of it. Like, it's not that bad if it was really in the dark and you didn't have a trailer that said Eternal Rock Lutheran Church, and your friend's going, hey, were you on the side of the road? I'm like, I don't know. It could have been my silver suburban. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's possible. Like, that's the worst part about it. But when we talk, the, when the Bible talks about repentance, it's not just feeling bad. It's not having like this emotional connection with the things that you shouldn't have done. When the Bible talks about repentance, it's recognizing the word they use is contrition. And contrition is a little bit deeper. That's why I have that arrow. It's recognizing the thing I have done actually hurts. It's, it's against God. 
And so contrition, I'll say that again, the, the thing I have done is actually a sin against God. We see that example with David, against you only have I sinned. This is something I did against God. And, and now let's just lower that a scale. You can, you can recognize that. Um, if you're a couple and you're married to someone and then you, you tell a half-truth, that it's actually that the truth isn't that big of a deal. Or maybe you uh, snuck a beer or something and you're not supposed to, or you um, spent money you weren't supposed to, okay? You spent 50 bucks. As the, the other person in this relationship, is the 50 bucks a big deal? No, it, it's the fact that they, they lied to you. And so now, you know, multiply that, multiply that times a thousand when you're saying, the thing I have done has sinned against, I have sinned against God. And that's the step one. So that's contrition. It starts with a C. I'll show you a little bit later. Really? Like, I'm doing my best. I, I had a mouse pad. I don't have a digi pen. Now it looks better. Okay, so the, the second step that a lot of people miss, and a lot of people, I, and I see this a lot in families, so I'm going to jump to the third step. It needs fruit. So obviously that has fruit. And most people, and I think a lot of people struggle about this, you may have been involved in a church that really jumps from step one to step three. And step three is saying you change your actions. That's what the, what the Bible talks about, fruit. You change your actions. So you feel bad about something, now fix it. And a lot of the Veggie Tale videos are like that. That's why I think they're a little funny. They always say like, oh, it's really bad to lie, so don't lie. Do you do that with your kids? Do you just say like, you should feel bad about that? Stop doing that. That's mean. It makes your sister sad. Don't do that anymore. I, I do the same thing. Because, you know, you're short on time, but a biblical view of repentance is saying, okay, I have done something wrong, not just against a human being. I've done something wrong against the holy God. And that thing, uh, the only way that it's going to be right, right. The only way that my heart, as I try to show with the kids, it, it's not fixing up the outside. The only way that can be clean is through Christ's forgiveness. And that's the beauty of what Jesus has done when we talk about the cross. Every single sin that you've ever committed through faith in Christ is forgiven. And I say that you have committed. Because my guess is if you're anything like me, a lot of things that other people have done to me over time just kind of wash away. I can't remember a lot of them. Someone might say, hey, remember when I did that? I'm like, not, you know, I moved on. But I guarantee you remember the things you've done. And I guarantee those re-roll in your mind. And so it's really easy to say God's forgiveness is for somebody else, but inside God, you know, I haven't lived out my penance yet. I haven't forgiven myself for something I've done or I've said. And really, I mean, I've said this before, that's pretty arrogant. Because you think, oh, I'm being really humble because I'm not forgiving myself. Really, you're being arrogant because faith in Christ is just believing what God says about you. Faith in Christ is just believing what God says about you. And God says about you is this, your sins are forgiven. Faith says, God, I'm going to trust and I'm going to believe that because Christ really came and Christ really died on the cross. Even the sins I don't want to talk about are gone. And I think that's part of the beauty that we struggle with. And I gave you a couple examples, uh, simple examples. One is when I went up north with my friends, and I've told you this story. I've only got like three stories, so I just tell them from different angles. And I went and I found a wallet. Do you remember me telling you this? And I found the wallet with cash in it. And um, instead of returning it in, instead of just even taking the cash and returning the wallet, which as an adult now, I'd be like, take the money. Well, because I only have like 12 bucks in my wallet, but take the money, but just let me not have to call the DMV. Let me just not go to the DMV right there. That's a win. That would be a win. Instead, we stashed it. I can still picture the motion because I'm the one who threw it. I threw it under a gazebo. And that still haunts me to this day. And I wish I could do something to fix it. 
I've thought about driving up there and finding out where it is and, and just like digging around to find who it is and then, you know, trying to send some message to this person, whoever it would be that lost their poor wallet, um, but you can't fix it. You, you just can't make it right. And I think that's the appeal of a TV show, as I said, with um, My Name is Earl. That's the appeal. Or remember, he lost the lottery ticket and he's trying to pay back all the wrong things that he did in his life. And there's, if you could really do that, that would be fantastic. Just think if you really could have a clean slate for all the things you've done to other people and they go, you know what? We're good. I think that's the appeal of Zacchaeus. Remember, he gets down from the cross and, I mean, gets down from the tree and, and, and he's talking and he says, I'm going to pay back anybody I've cheated four times what I've ever paid them. And as a kid, I thought, that is crazy. Who would want to do that? Like if I stole a dollar from my brother, I have to pay him four bucks. I don't like this. I mean, one bit, but now as an adult, I think that that would be getting off cheap. If all the, if anything, if I could give, say, 50 bucks in that wallet, if I could, again, pay 400 bucks, 500 bucks, 600 bucks to know my conscience would be eased, I would pay it in a second. And step number two is recognizing that you can't do anything to make these things right. And it's trusting that Jesus says, even sins like that, sins that bother you, are a clean slate. Those, those, those sins are forgiven. They're gone, and they're paid for. And only from that heart comes change. So when I realize I've sinned against God and then I recognize that Christ has forgiven me, only in that joy can my life change. And this is what God desires. A lot of people, contrition, cross, and change. A lot of people jump without that, and that's really what the Pharisees did. And this is why this is so dangerous. Um, the Pharisees struggled, and if you want to understand the Pharisees, the Pharisees are like you, and I, let me explain that sentence in a sec. Um, the Pharisees were not preachers like me. The Sadducees were religious leaders, the um, teachers of the law, they would study the laws of the Old Testament, and then they would teach them to the people. But the Pharisees were lay people, like they had regular jobs, they could have been farmers and things like that. But everybody looked up to them, because they were so good at what they did. And they were so good at being religious. But the problem that they had is that they were like that glass that they had with the kids. They were spraying the outside, and everything on the outside looked great, but inside their hearts were rotten. Inside, they were self-righteous, and inside, they were looking down at people. Inside, they weren't worried about that because they thought they were set. So this is John's response when he gets to the people. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized, so these people are rushing to see him, and this includes these Pharisees and their attitude, you brood of vipers. Good morning and welcome to Eternal Rock Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Jared Oldenburg, you brood of vipers. Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Like, they, they, people went out to see him and hear him said, but you know what? How far would you go to find someone who would tell you the truth? Like, just imagine if you're sitting around people that just pander you and say everything is great and everything's fantastic and you're the greatest athlete of all time. How far would you go to have someone just say, you know what, I've evaluated your skills and they're not good? How much effort do people go to hear Simon Cowell put him into a pit? Why do they do that? Why do they enjoy that? Because they want someone to at least tell them the truth. Every time there's a lousy singer on the shows like that, how many of their relatives are sitting backstage saying they're amazing? You're not amazing. And so what Jesus is saying, and what John the baptizer is saying, when the people come, he said, you got to be careful because snakes are tricky and it's really easy to go around the middle part. You can feel bad about something and just get cleaner and cleaner and do more and more things that look right. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as a father. That's not going to work. Just saying, I'm a Jewish person, big deal, he says. For I tell you that out of these stones... God can raise up children for Abraham. It does not matter your background. This is what matters. 
the axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He says, you got to be careful. you got to be careful. Because even if you're doing all the right things on the outside, like the axe is coming down to cut you down. And with that comes destruction. And with that comes punishment. And with that comes discomfort. And so the people just like you and I are saying like, all right, I get it. Um, it's like the doctor who says, like, you keep this up, you're going to die. You've got, what do I have to do? And that's exactly what the people asked. What do we do? John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked. These are Dickie shorts. Does anyone recognize these shorts? These are navy blue uh, Dickies actually sold out. I don't know if you knew this. Dickies were a work brand that was not cool, and then it became kind of cool in the rap culture. And then they actually sold out and started doing half pants like this so that people would buy more Dickies. Um, the closest thing I could find to the Dickies I wore as a lumberman, I had to go to the women's section. That were the length of my Dickies that were required to work at the lumberyard. And so I, um, no, mine might have been a little shorter. I think my inseam was half inch. So we had these super awkward shorts, and you either wore blue jeans at the lumber yard, or you could order these blue dicky shorts, and they subsidized them. They were like 10 bucks. And so I worked at the lumber yard, and they had an order that went in. I was getting ready. I worked six summers at the lumber yard. I've told you the story, I'm sure. And uh, I was really excited. I'm like, okay, I'll take two pairs, because I was cheap. I wanted to make as much money as possible so I didn't have debt when I got out of school. So I, we'd work 10, 12-hour days driving the trucks, and they said, okay, the order has come in. So we rushed down there, and I get there with my friend. Chopper is his nickname. That makes him sound like a big bearded guy. He was just a chubby kid. He's actually an actuary scientist. But um, the, So we're sitting there, and I, I open my package. I'm like, yes, I got you know my two. No other human has ever said that when they saw their dicky shorts. You know, like, awesome, I get to wear these. So I, I pull out my shorts, and he goes, oh, I didn't get one of my pair. You know, I didn't, I didn't get my shorts, you know, and I felt really bad about it. I'm sitting there for a second, and I came back to him later in the day, and I'm like, hey, I got two pair. Why, why don't you take mine? You know, take one of mine. And he said, hey, really appreciate it, really appreciate it. So the order doesn't come in for like two and a half months. So I worked 10, 12-hour days, and, you know, without too many details, I never washed my shorts. I think I washed them. I don't know if I ever washed my shorts. So I just let them ride because I had one pair of shorts. You know, I'd stand them up in the corner so I could just jump into them, you know, like... And uh, they looked like Mr. Potato Head pants. Like, they, they kept their shape. I just put them on. They'd go back on. So, so I had these shorts. I went two and a half months with the same pair of shorts. And they're getting, like, they're wearing out. We delivered shingles and sheetrock and things like that. And then finally the order comes in. And Chopper comes. He's like, hey, really appreciate it. Here's your shorts back. Um, you know, my other pair came in. I'm like, what, wait a second. What do you mean your other pair? He goes, yeah, I ordered three pair. And one of them didn't come in. So then I borrowed one from you. And then, so whole summer he rolled with three pairs of shorts. I gave up half of my shorts. What should you do then? Anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. I thought he had none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Tax collectors, they're, they're distraught over it. Like Zacchaeus' teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to do. Then these big gruff soldiers come to John the baptizer, what should we do? And he says, don't extort money. The word is like really shake down money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. And I think, what's the takeaway here? I think the takeaway is this. John never says to the people, you have to quit your job. So a lot of you have different jobs that you have 
temptations to do things you shouldn't do. And maybe I'll put it this way. Every one of you has a job that can make someone's life more miserable in a unique way. So if you're a teacher, you can make someone's life miserable in a unique way. I don't have that opportunity if I'm not a teacher. If you sell things, you can make someone's life miserable in a unique way. You can upcharge them. You can go around the things. If you're a manager, you can make someone's life miserable in a unique way. If you're a nurse, you can wait a little bit longer, a little bit slower. You can be not as good with the butterfly needles, right? I mean, you, there's, you can make someone's life miserable in a, in a unique way. As a parent, you're, you are so closely connected to your kids, you can make their life miserable in a unique way. John doesn't say... Uh, to confess of your sins means you get a new job. John says you just take a look at what you have and can you use that unique opportunity to make someone's life awesome? Instead of making their life miserable, what can you do in your unique situation? You have a unique situation where you are right now. If you manage people, you have a unique situation to make their life awesome and have a manager. They said, I can't believe that he or she treats me this way and that they have this kind of respect and they're trying to help me in my career. That they would look back and say that was a special experience. You could have a nurse and you've all had experiences like this. A nurse that was so unique and so friendly and answered all your questions. You're like, you made my life awesome. You could have a guy who sells you USB drives named Alfred and you're like, this guy has kind of made this experience awesome. Like you are positioned there's nobody who's better positioned than you and the thing that you do to make someone's life awesome in that unique way. I can't do that. I'm only a pastor. But some of you are engineers and nurses and doctors and you care with people. What John is saying is, what should I do? When you repent, this is what you're saying, God, I am sorry for the things in my unique situation where I've made life's pe uh, life uh, awful for people. I want to make it awesome. Martin Luther says it this way, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. So God doesn't need your good works, your neighbor does, and you are dealing with people, and that's ultimately what, God, I'm sorry for what I've done to people, because that's who we offend, and in that same way I've offended you, let your cross motivate me to change my life. And so the people are really, they're saying, okay, okay, I got it, I got it. They, they just had one more question, and we'll go, we'll end it up here. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might be the Messiah. He said, okay, he's talking in these prophecies. Are you the guy we've been waiting for? John answered that, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, and the winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. With many other words, John extorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. And what is this good news? The Savior is coming. The good news is Christ is here. The good news is that he went into the fires of hell so that you don't have to suffer those things. The good news is we don't have to just try and polish up our outside. The good news is that he changes your heart. And through faith in him and forgiveness, we can go into the lives that we get to deal with and make their life awesome because we love our Savior. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that we have fruits of repentance. And during this holiday season, there's so many other things that we're looking to do, but a, a daily thing is getting a chance, a beautiful thing, is to repent of our sins. We don't have to hide things because you already know them, but instead give us a new heart, a new heart that longs to serve you and love you and in the way overflow. That's the only way we can do it. 
but it can overflow into the lives that you've put before us. And some of that's coworkers, some of that's friends, some of that's our kids, some of that's our parents or our grandparents or brothers or sisters. Help the love that you've poured into us so pour out of us that they can have a life that is completely changed. We ask this in your name.